unruly suitors and goddesses in disguise. Implore the blind singer to recount the tale of the Trojan horse. Take off your coat and stay a while on the island of the immortal sea witch. And, honey, I would have been home ten years earlier if I hadn't taken a wrong turn at the island of the cannibalistic Lastrigarians. Stay a while and listen. It's time to talk told to me. <laughs> is, that, is that Sean Connery or Mae West? You would think that it was Sean Connery, but it's actually Deckard Kane from the game Diablo, who is wow. very... I was getting Mae West vibes, yeah. and, I was, and I liked it. Yeah, stay a while and lush up. Welcome back. I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together, we happen to be factless moms. And this is... By hook or by crook, talk tall to me. A 10,000-line poem in the oral tradition of prog rock, in which Nausicaan Nick and Odyssean Omen will wander our way from shore to shore of every single track that siren song prog rock band Jethro Tull has ever launched upon the wine-colored sea. We will protect ourselves from Circe's enchantments by eating a sacred herb called the Martin Bar. We will make a miraculous escape after eating the sheep belonging to David Polythemus Pegg. And we will stay for seven years in the magical and seductive arms of Peter John Vitesse. And after our decades of long wandering, Nick and I will finally come home to the loving presence of our long-lost wife, Ian Athens Anderson. After, of course, slaying all the boisterous Rolling Stone critics who failed to string our flute. You're very fond of the oral tradition, aren't you, Omen? <laughs> I'm an oral traditionalist. <laughs> I think I think we should stop that there. Nick, welcome back. It's great to see you again. Lovely to see you as well, Omen. Thank you for joining me here in this tall space. Is that can can that can that be put to an end, please, so I don't have to edit that out? Let me see. Thank you. I don't even know what it is. I mean, I know what it is. I know who it is, but I don't know what. It is. Bert. Oh, Bert. Jesus Christ, no. I apologize for that. That was Bert's loudest toy. It's like when people get a kid, like, a whistle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last year, his Rook's preschool teachers got him two whistles at, mm. at various parts of the year. It's like, what? A whistle and a backup whistle. Have you ever had a child? Nope. Clearly not. Anyway. Here we are, Omen. Here we are to discuss track one off of side B of Under Wraps. We're going to talk nobody's car today, Omen. Let's not put it in our ears and anti-listen to it. Let's put it in nobody's ears. Ah! Omen. That was nobody's car. That it was. Or was it? How did you nobody feel about it? I think it's fun. It's a fun song. It's not It's not a favorite off the album, but it's fun. Sure. What do you think of it strategically, plot line aside, mm-hmm. assuming that there is a plot line, what do you think of it as a, as a side two opener? Oh, that's a good question. I do like it as an opener. It's not raucous it's not terribly cacophonous where it's like uh, offensive to experience after the flip it kind of works i mean it's still there's still a lot going on but it i'm still offended by it (laughs) obviously i'm still offended but that's just personal it kind of works you into it it's it's a bit of a smoother transition i think yeah i i think that's apt there's it's got a good balance of invitational sounds but Mm -hmm. also strong kind of this is what the sound is. This is rock and roll. Yeah. It's a nice mix. It's got it's got enough room for ambiguity that I feel like kind of invites you in. The drum machine and the synth are not terribly overpowering. However, it does it does kind of take a tack of like you've listened to the first half of this album. We're jumping right back in. You know, it's it's uh-huh. not kind of a reintroduction of the general aural thesis, but it's it's still, 
It's like a transition step. It's nice. It's it's nice sonically. I think that the word of the day is going to be transition. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like it. One transition. Oh, 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 oh. Was that the thunder? That was that was that was lightning thunder, yeah. That was great. I like you're an amazing vocal foley artist. All of the foley on this podcast start to finish has just been me. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Even the songs that we play that you think are Jethro Tull recordings, that's just Nick. Mm-mm. Full-on covers. I beatbox. I nose flute. Yes. It's, it's... <laughs> Speaking of beatboxing, the drum machine, you said it wasn't a particularly, I forget the word you used, it wasn't overwhelming. Yeah. I have been overwhelmed all day. By the drum machine? By the drum machine. By the lack of drum machine in your life? By the question that is gnawing at my soul regarding the drum machine on this track. Go on. I am not convinced that it is entirely in 4-4. Oh, that I think, yeah, transition it is then. If if we're getting into something that's a little, it's it's a step in a new direction, if the, the, you flip that. You flip that album and you've got a, a new time signature on the, the heretofore staunchly 4-4. Just when you thought it was safe to get back in the drum machine. The heretofore 4-4 drum machine? Oh, oh that's good. <laughs> now, I don't, have, I don't have hard evidence to say that it is not in 4-4. Okay. I think a lot of it is in 4-4 or maybe in 8-8. Eight, eight, eight. Okay. But I am pretty sure there are some abnormally beated measures. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. If it wasn't this album, if it wasn't the drum machine, I would say, oh yeah, of course, they've thrown in a measure of of three there. They've thrown in a measure of five. But just because I have now dug myself into the theory (laughs) hole so far. You've you've embedded yourself as a tick in this album. (laughs) You're sucking the 4-4 out of it. I've been eating theory worms all day. (laughs) Can't go back now, but I might have to because I, this this song has introduced an element of doubt into my theory about the drum machine not being programmable or not being programmed, at least in anything before four, because there's something a little off here mm. and there in this song rhythmically that makes it feel much more like what we're used to from a Jethro Tull song. Yeah. Yeah. Who who better to do it? You know, they, they invested an entire half of an album just to pull one over on Omen 40 years later, 30 years later. And it's interesting because if you go to the the spy motif, a really good spy movie or mystery movie or suspense movie or book or whatever you have, whatever have you. Comic book, candy wrapper, you know. <laughs> Bazooka comic. However you consume your spy material. But the really good thing about it is when just when you think you've got it all figured out, the rug of the plot gets pulled out partially from with under you. Yeah. With under you. Grammar. Yeah, there it's in there somewhere. I get it. But you know what I mean? It's like, oh, oh, suddenly the big twist that happens halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe maybe that was planned all along. I doubt it. But it works. It, it works sonically. It works theoretically. You know, I mean, maybe Ian was working on that, that absolute meta level of, oh, yeah, we're going to keep it in this time signature until this point. That feels more like like a thick as a brick or a passion play move, or even honestly, I would, I could see it as something from too old to rock and roll. Hmm. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. like something that would be overtly planned here, but, but I mean, I could be wrong. You never can tell. Yeah, exactly. Until we have finally the opportunity to sit down and interview Drumatron. That's right. He has not returned our emails. We should try a fax. <laughs> he's he's pretty reclusive at this point. He doesn't his he's left his life of drumming, and uh, he just wants to live his life with his wife Melatron and their child Xylophon and Xylophon <laughs> and their their dog uh, Theremin, and and you mm. know just live in the countryside. Yeah, in the not in the binary fields. Yeah. Okay. The reason I think that the word transitional is the word of the day is that this song we've kind of talked about this in relation to the whole album. Mm -hmm. But this song is a really good representation of the kind of pivot point on which the flute is balancing Mm. in terms of the scope of Jethro Tull 
and in the context of this album. Okay. We are, you know, back in the day in picked up a flute and said, I reckon I can play this and made some sounds come out of it. Right. If we go, if we fast forward to today, he is arguably one of the greatest flute players in the world, both on a classical side of things and on a rock and roll side of things. He really put in the hours. He really went to the flute gym, pounded the flute iron and got himself some technique. Yeah. He did not skip flute leg days. He he really worked it all. Yeah. <laughs> Never skip flute leg day. No. Yeah. His expertise is, is growing and he's really putting in the time here. Un- unfortunately on this album, it's not terribly flute friendly. I don't think. Agreed. And so we sort of have the flute coming and going in this album. Yeah. But what I feel from the music in this album is that maybe he hasn't gotten himself into lessons yet. Maybe he hasn't started really engaging with that classical playing, that classical flute playing side of things. But you can hear the curiosity and the desire to play more precisely really starting to come through. He didn't start taking lessons until Gail was taking flute, right? That's that right? what I recall to my mind. Yep. Oh, she was born in 70. So she's 14 at this point. She, this very well could have happened. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So he could have, maybe it was a matter of just after this when like he had to pull back on the voice, you know, maybe he, he compensated there. I don't know. I'm not sure when that story actually fell in, in the timeline of things, but, but yeah, I, there is an evolution to the sound. Absolutely. And this feels like the Cro-Magnon period. Is that, that's a stepping stone? Yeah. <laughs> it's just the first evolutionary term I could pull from Okay, my head. okay. <laughs> no, but this, I mean, this feels like a, a really unique, like, oh, you can see the influence of this side. You can see where it's going over here and you can really feel the, the, the shifting point. Sure. And I think, I think actually the same could be said for Martin's guitar, to be honest. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's, you told me to in three text messages. You called me at four in the morning. I told you I would do it. I keep my promises, Omen. I will send my lawyers home. But tell me more about the transition of Martin Barr. Well, I think we've hinted at this before without really knowing knowing what we were getting into, for lack of a better term. But I mean he's he's got that he's got that grungy rock feel mm-hmm. leading up until this point. Great. Love the sound. We 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 love Martin Barr, everything he does. This album was is really that like with the drum machine and mm-hmm. the synth taking full full front full frontal synth here yeah he's allowed to go free he's allowed to experiment he's allowed to to really uh, spread his wings and really make an effort to to sound a little different whether it's something he wanted to do before whether it's something he was new, newly experimenting with we don't really know but like we have all said including Martin and Ian like his guitar is gosh darn great in this and then looking forward to Crest and to Catfish and to... I am so looking forward to Crest and Catfish. Those have a very distinct guitar sound that is very different from pre-Under Wraps. Yeah. It's like this is really the missing link. Yeah. This is the Homo Erectus. Homo Erraticus, even. The Homo Erraticus of... Evolution of tall evolution. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's controversial in the anthropological sense to to definitively say that, oh, this is the missing link. Yes. And in that regard, it's controversial saying like, hey, this is really a formative tall album. A lot of tall skulls who who don't like this album will be like, no, it's just a terrible decision. Right. But like, I mean, we're digging into it and I'm really seeing a lot of value in this album. I think that whether you like it or not, you can't deny that Under Wraps is an important Jethro Tull album. Right. Right. We could not have gone from Australopithecus to Homo Erraticus without Under Rapicus. It would still... <laughs> It would still be lizard tall. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, tall would still be cold-blooded and would never have survived the asteroid strike. They'd have feathers. And actually, there there's a, a big and theory. And actually, they do. That they do. They do have feathers. Ian, that's why do you think Ian doesn't wear the codpiece anymore? He just doesn't trim the feathers. 
dinosaur some dinosaurs were warm-blooded they've they've come to realize just i am so sorry for our dinosaur listeners i did not mean to misrepresent you just want to put that out there we talked a little bit in our notes and quotes section of a previous episode earlier on in this album about how the presence of the drum machine while it is frustrating to some listeners it did give martin that extremely digitally regimented framework to play within and you can tell that it really has allowed him to play in a much more mathematical way yeah i think that what we're part of what i'm realizing about martin Barr is that what makes him so extraordinary as a player is his mathematical precision yeah and if he has to have one part of his brain making sure that he's following along with a human drummer who no matter how good a drummer is they're always gonna no matter how good any musician is they're always gonna you know, move a little bit in, in time. If he can just put that part of his mind aside. Right. And purely focus on the, the mathematics of his instrument. He plays in this incredible fashion. And I think that maybe what he learned over time was how to find that with a, now a human drummer. Yeah. But also maybe, you know, maybe this was the album where he realized, Oh, you know what? I just really need to play everything to a click track. And then we'll we'll combine it in post. Oh, interesting. You know, this is a shifting time of recording. This is really a transitional point in the medium of recording. Technologically, you're saying. Digitologically, yes. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has more digits. <laughs> That's right. Six fingers. The old six-finger Martin Barr. Yeah. Very rare addition. Somewhat valuable. Collector's item. Yeah. Yeah, to the right people, it's valuable. But there, yes, going back, there is some great flute in here. The percussion is fun. Does it sound terribly drum machine-y? The bass play is really nice. The synth is really nice in here. They all meld really well together to give us kind of the, the full feeling of the song this air of of mystery and of uncertainty almost oh yeah and then they they get into then then things get harder a little a bit grungier as the stakes in the song rise and the discoveries and there's progress in the story of this song things get a bit more hectic and scary and still kind of it's still a mystery but it's it's a more of a dangerous mystery really yeah this is a really good song that progresses perfectly alongside the feeling of the the, mm-hmm. the lyrics, the story of the song. Mm-hmm. I also think that regardless of the question of dropped beats or irregular measures, even if it is in fact 100% in 4-4 time, there are some polymeters perhaps, some, polyth- some polythemuses, where the drum machine is going in one rhythm and the guitar, the bass, the flute they're doing something counter to that. Ian is doing something even counter to that. So you have that sense of things pulling against each other, things speeding up and slowing down, even if they're not. Oh, is that is that an example of one of those where everybody kind of falls out of the wave and then they, they eventually crest at the same time and they fall back together? Is that I what that is? I think it is. I think that yeah. is probably, to a certain extent, what's happening with this song. And I like it. Yeah, those are always so cool to me. Just that mathematical level of everybody starting at the right time to sound different and then falling back together. It's I know it's probably probably not that magically complex for someone who understands music, but it's always really fascinating to hear for a simpleton, a music simpleton like myself. <laughs> Nick, anything else to say musically about this song? Just that I really like the voice. We don't have the crazy vocal hips and, and yeeps and narnies and, and this and we that. Have, we do have, though, the... Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the most of the flavor, really. But even Ian's kind of grungy voice in the back every now and then. Nobody's car. When he gets really grumbly. Yeah. Nobody's car. Which he sings underneath his normal register. And then there is, at other points, he's singing a little bit higher. Or maybe it's Peggy. I'm not sure. But the, the vocal layering in here is really nice. I do like it. And most of what Ian is doing is very clean. Reminds me a little bit of Sting. Mm, okay. Nobody's Sting. 
Nobody's sting. Yeah. Well, Nick, if there's a, nothing else musically, I would love to step into the steam factory. Oh, sure. And take a quick break. Yeah, I could use a good steam. Let's go. Omen. Nick. Here we are. Oof. Got my rubber boots on. It's a it's a bit it's a bit warm in here. I put on my, my rubber onesie. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. I like the uh, the old-timey swimsuit feel that you've got going on there. It's Thank nice. you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All the steam is making me thirsty. Yeah. I'm glad Mary delivered you that, and Marley just handed me a, a piece of... I think this might be papyrus? Marley! I'm not, not quite up onto, uh, on my ancient writings, but... I suggest reading it before the ink melts off. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's probably not, yeah, okay. It's not airproof. Thank you, Marley, thank you, I appreciate that. It's not that. airproof? You mean it's not waterproof? It's not airproof or waterproof. Oh, nor gosh. earthproof, nor fireproof. Okay. It's, I don't know why we have it then, it's, it's, it seems impractical, but... Read, quick, quick, read it before something else happens. Well, we've got ourselves a new writer inner, <gasps> believe it or what? not. It's been a while, thank you, new writer inner. I think I have a new writer inner sting. This is exciting. This is from writer inner Jim, and the subject is Tull, and we will dive in. Jim says, I don't know where to start except to say thank you. Oh. For years and years, I always felt alone on my rock island, completely loving the writing and glorious sounds of Jethro Tull, the greatest band that ever has and ever will be on the face of this planet and forever ingrained into the DNA of my bloodstream. And then a couple of years ago, while playing around with the newfangled radio in my new truck on my way to Boston from Maine, I found you guys. Amen, brother. I don't know how you found us on the radio. Must have been like a Spotify or something. I'll, I'll take it. If if Boston is putting out Talk Tall to me, I, I would love to see a check, but I mean, I'll take it. It's great. <laughs> I've never heard anyone appreciate and know JT like I do, but now I have and I thank you. You are beyond honest, educated, and most importantly, real tall fans. We are beyond educationable. <laughs> Educatable. Thank you. It all started when I was a kid alone in a gremlin while waiting for my older brother to come back for me in a hospital parking lot. There's a story in that. I think he was babysitting me that day. He left me the keys and said, do what you want. So I turned the key to leave. I think I was about 12 years old, and before deciding to take off for a spin, I thought, I need some music for my cruise. There was a ton of trash and eight-track cassettes thrown all over the floor, so I started popping them into the slot and would listen for a few seconds and hated everything. <laughs> but then a lime green eight-track caught my eye. I put it in, heard the first note, and I have never been the same person since. Never have I heard such wonderful and glorious rip-rocking sounds come from a set of stereo speakers. I thought I was part of a musical miracle, and I never left the parking lot that day. Thank God. Can you imagine if my friends saw me driving a gremlin? <laughs> anyway, the Lime Green 8-track was the best of JT. I listened to it approximately 7 million times, give or take a million, then proceeded to buy every album that predated the Best Of cassette. I have thankfully experienced the release of every album since. All Tall did was get better and better. SF the W, SW, BS, C of K, R to B, RDRA? I mean, come on! Can anyone even come close? Of course not. You know it, and I know it, and I can't wait to hear more from the two of you about Tull. I really appreciate it. I now listen to the two of you on my phone blowing through some sort of Bluetooth speaker I bought on sale while I work in my home office, and I absolutely love it. Please keep up the good work and fun times. You always make my day. One of your listeners, Jim. Jim, thank you so much for your your jump start. And what a jump start. Yeah. Can we address the fact that you first heard Tull in an AMC Gremlin? <laughs> Probably needed to jumpstart the Gremlin, so <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, the Gremlin was an AMC subcompact introduced in 1970 and is often included on the list of the top ten ugliest cars ever made. 
It's very boxy. It's always the butt of jokes, too. I believe that's the car that Garth drives in Wayne's World. I believe the Mirthmobile is a gremlin, I think. That would make sense. I yeah. think they're kind of cool looking. I, I would I would want one. Yeah, nowadays they're they're pretty cool. I'd be very surprised to find one running, though. Anyway, thank you, Jim. Greatly appreciated. Love the jump starts. Love reaching out. Love new writers inners. We love old writers inners too. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what age you are. Write into us, please. We love the writers innards. <laughs> and we love connecting like a an invisible underground mycelial tall network. We love connecting the fruiting bodies of tall enthusiasts with each other. All fully connected, we communicate as one. If someone in Massachusetts gets hurt, we know about it. That's right. Nick, anything else to say before we um, before we steam ourselves to death? I'm I'm about ready to be poached in some butter. Yeah, I I need to go hydrate. I think I- immediately. I will. Uh, I'll get an IV drip and I'll meet you back at the studio. My pores are gaping. <laughs> I've fallen through your pores. <laughs> Horrifying imagery. Oh, hello there, Nick. Here we are. Omen, here we are, ready to go, ready to discuss the contents of this dramatic and high-tension song. How do you feel about Nobody's Car? What's the story here? Ooh, I love it. Black Volga following me, Nobody's Car. Black Volga following me, Nobody's Car. I mean, just there, it's almost the whole story. Yeah. You have so much imagery just there. First of all, what's a Volga? It was a a car that originated in the Soviet Union. Yep. And it was created to replace the GAZ Pobeda. Pobeda? Thank thank goodness they finally replaced that. In 1956. Um, the Volga's role in serving the Soviet nomenklatura made them contemporary cultural icons. Yeah. So apparently it was like the the Ford Fiesta. It was like the go-to several and several generations of that car. So it's it's they're probably I don't mean to generalize here, but I'm sure there were a lot less car options in the Soviet Union and Russia than we have here. So Right. Well Ford was doing or while AMC was putting out a new Gremlin every year, the Volga would be the same for five or six or seven years, and then they would maybe do an update. Yeah, and and how many other options did you have outside of the Volga? Walking. Walking, a donkey. Riding your grandmother's cat. Carrying a donkey on your back. Praying to Streganona to have her pick her pick you up in her chicken foot house. That's not Streganona, that's Baba Yaga. I always get my <laughs> Streganona is a children's book. European And, and she's confused. Italian. <laughs> well what's a couple thousand kilometers? <laughs> Okay, Black Volga following me, nobody's car. I love that we include in this line, I've read this book before I even saw the film. I've read this book before I even saw the film. Because as soon as you set the image of there's this nobody's car following me, you know what the story is. You have that, you, you've seen, we've all seen that film, you know, a bunch of times where the, the protagonist is being followed and you can't see the driver, and it's this, you know, the black, unmarked vehicle that just pertunes death. And the the nobody in question, possessive of the car, is a proper noun. So the nobody. Who is the nobody? The, the faceless, nameless entity that is following me. And if you're a spy in a foreign country, deeply embedded, everybody's a nobody until they're not. Yeah, and you're a nobody if you're doing yeah, your job right. Exactly. But if somebody's following you, you've been bodied. It's very just thinking about it, it's very like, ugh, it just makes me very uncomfortable. Like the old song says, you're nobody till somebody takes a hit out on your life. <laughs> now, I'm glad that you asked Nick what all of this has to do with the triptych that I arranged in the beginning. Oh, the the Odyssean triptych? Yes. Okay, you are familiar, of course, with the, the one of the first adventures of the Odyssey in which Odysseus and his 
his gentlemen sailors wash up on the shores of <laughs> his gentlemen sailors. You know, they wash up on the on the shores. They get they get blown toward the shores of the island of Polythemus. The um, yeah, the cyclops. the cyclops. Yep, they end up stealing his sheep, blinding him, getting him drunk on wine and cheese, stabbing a stake through his single eye, and then drunk, sailing away. Drunk on cheese. <laughs> I'm cheese drunk. <laughs> cheese drunk. I've got a cheese hangover. And at one point, when Polythemus asks, Who are you? Who is doing this to me? Odysseus replies, I am no one. Or I am nobody. Yeah. And so when Polythemus is raging against being blinded, he says, Nobody has blinded me! Yeah, he calls to his brothers, the the, the ocean spirits, yes. and says, Nobody has blinded me. And they're like, Okay, well then, chill out. Great. What else is going on? He's like, Nobody has stolen my sheep. And they're like, Good. Cool. Sounds like you're all right. Fun little tidbit there. Nobody in Latin is Nemo. That's my name backwards. You didn't know that? I did, but I forgot. Okay, yeah. That's why why the hero of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, or rather the subject of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The (laughs) The anti-hero? He's sort of an anti-hero. He's he's the Deadpool of Jules Verne, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. 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 That's why he named himself Nemo because he has relinquished his identity. He's mm. become no one. Nice. That's cool. Very rich, sexily dressed no one. <laughs> the big hard ship. Always cheese drunk. <laughs> I've given up the cheese of the land. I now am only drunk on the cheese of the sea. The sea cheese. <laughs> sea cheese, if you will. <laughs> Made from sea milk. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. This this idea of there being a a person who is no one, nobody. Mm-hmm. Right. Really goes back to the dawn of human storytelling. Right. It's it's either it it could go either two ways. You've got your your peers plowman who is an everyman who is there designed for the reader or the listener to identify with that character. Uh-huh. No matter how absurd or 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 fantastical their actions, you 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 identify with that person. Or there's the opposite. There's there's the the nameless foe. There's the faceless foe that is could be anybody that allows you to to add your own description and add yes. your own image to put it exactly into your psyche for yes. what is the most scary. Yes, exactly. It is the void onto which you project your worst nightmares. Yeah. And and in this case, the Black Volga, which is a pretty intimidating looking car anyway. In the early 80s, it was all just sharp angles. Yeah. And I imagine this is probably counter-indicated by the actual lyrics, but the I imagine it with tinted windows, you know, where you, you can't mm. actually see the person who's driving it. There's this, this completely disembodied vehicle. I thought that with the plastic shades on black-browed eye hole. Plastic shades on black-browed eye holes. But, so maybe it's just like the top portion is shaded. You know, when, remember when they used to do that on windshields where they would, like the top maybe quarter of it was, was shaded down? My dad's yes. trucks always had that shade. Yeah, that's, they used to do that long ago, like yeah. 2017 when my Fiat Abarth was created. Oh, does your really? I haven't seen that in like years. Well, you haven't years seen my Abarth. That's true. I think that that line specifically refers to sunglasses on the driver. Oh, 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 oh! Interesting. Okay, I thought it was, I thought it was the the windows of the car itself. But I I do like the shades of the the driver. I think it's fascinating that the there's the car and then there's the driver, and the driver is named Mister No One at the wheel. Yeah. Yeah, because he's the nobody. Yeah. It's nobody's car. He's Mr. No One, yeah. What do you make of this recurring theme or line in Tourist City? In Tourist City. In Tourist City. I'm looking at silent singing, and it Mm -hmm. leads those two words together. In Tourist City. In Tourist as one word. Very interesting. Maybe, and maybe that's what it is. It's supposed to sound like interesting. Maybe. Interesting. Like in the sentence, <gasps> so careful how you drive in tourist city, 
makes sense. Intourist is a Russian tour operator headquartered in Moscow. It was founded on April 12, 1929 and serves as the primary travel agent for foreign tourists in the Soviet Union. There it is. It is the Intourist city. Wow. So yeah, yeah, you're saying okay, so in the first at the very end of the first verse, it's in Tourist City. But in the the second and third references, it, it is it is elided. It's the interest in tourist. In my copy, it's elided in all three. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I think that that actually explains something to me that I that I had been confused about. Slap in front of my hotel. It's nobody's car. Is that my limousine? No, it's nobody's car. Slap in front of my hotel. It's nobody's car. Is that my limousine? It's nobody's car. So I get the sense that whatever whatever front the our spy character is using, it involves the Russian tourist service. Mm. So he's there officially as a tourist, and so he is being picked up by in-tourist and, you know, mm-hmm. being driven around sightseeing all that, and then he's able to sneak away and do his spy stuff uh, separately. What better way to blend in than to be be like an obnoxious tourist? Yeah. But then he comes out for his tour down to go circle Red Square. And instead of his limousine, there is this unmarked, non-governmental, non-bureau vehicle. Terrifying. How did they know he was staying there? Yeah, exactly. He's on assignment, trying to be undercover. He's got a tail. Is he being paranoid? We don't really know for sure here, do we? I mean, oh, oh, at the very end, we do know. Yeah. But for the first part, it could just be, well, there's a lot of black Volgas. Everyone's got a Volga. Yeah. And it, it is a, a number on the psyche to, to always be looking over your shoulder. You're Eventually, you're going to be finding a Mr. Nobody everywhere you look. Yikes. Until he gets followed into an alley and two people get out. That's that's really the yeah. That's the where that's the where the worm turns, I guess. Yeah. But I'm glad that you brought up paranoia because this song, I was like, what does this remind me of? What does the vibe of the song remind me of? And if you if you think backwards a little bit, a couple of albums, and think about the song, watching me, watching you. Ooh. Okay. I'm watching you. Watching me. Watching. This has a similar kind of feeling where it sure. is he is being followed, he's being watched, and it's that eerie sensation where the the hairs on the back of your neck start to rise, and you're just like, something's not quite right. Someone is looking mm-hmm. at me, yeah, in not the way that I would prefer. It also makes me think, you know, within the world of this character, this you know, this world of the album, which is so fun. I've read this book before. I even saw the film. As soon as he clocks, oh, wait a minute. No, this is the same car I saw yesterday. That is the same beard driving the car that I saw yesterday. He knows what's going to happen. Kind of. Because he, he, after he says, even I even saw the film, he says, how did the ending go? Did the ending go? What happened in that story? What can I avoid? What can I do right? Right. Did the hero get away in the story? Mm-hmm. It's a weird scenario I've seen a thousand times before, but only on my video. Right, 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 right. Well, and even, you know, it makes me think that this interest, perhaps as he's going about, as we go through the song, for me, it, it starts to transition from like, oh yeah, this is the city where there's one travel agency to this is the city where no matter where you go someone is watching you it is mm-hmm. the city it is the agency city there's always you know is interest just a front for the kgb right yeah to have a handle on everything to be everywhere discreetly indiscreet to be every nowhere to be every every kgb every kgb <laughs> every kgb she does is magic <laughs> Uh, on the line somewhere before I feel we've met, there is very quietly, I think it's just on the right side you hear, hello. 
so this last verse is yes. they they chase him into the alley. Two guys get out. Two two figure silhouettes backlit by these headlights. Uh huh. Are they the enemies? Is he is he agreeing to go along to be turned into a double or a triple agent? Rather, is he is he just going along to stay alive for the time being? Right. And finally, after all this time, they get a hold of him and they say. We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. Exactly, yeah. Are they on his side to begin with? And he's just been paranoid, you know? And that's a common trope in spy movies. You know, you have the spy running away and running away and running away and finally can't run anymore. And and somebody's like, well, you're a hard man to reach. Here's your your assignment from your boss. Here's your candy gram. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, and we don't know. And we don't know. I agreed to go along with all they asked of me in Tourist City. I drive nobody's car. I agreed to go along with all they asked of me in Tourist City. I drive nobody's car. So is, does that mean he has become a nobody? It's interesting. It It really, one of the things that I appreciate so much about this album is that it is sort of a it's like a it's like a build your own concept album. Yeah. All the pieces are there. You can assemble it however you want. You can put extra fudge on there. You can put gummy bears if you want. Why you would put gummy bears on chocolate frozen yogurt. But I it's your know. but it's your album. It's your it's yours. It's what you want. Do it. Enjoy it. You already bought it. Yeah. And for me, it's like this could be a story contained in itself where you have the shadowy figures capturing the hero and and in jesting him. Right. Or this is a continuing thing where it's like, yeah, now I've had to go even deeper. Yeah. Uh, they're always rounding up foreign tourists to be nobodies. Well, now I have to become a nobody so I can get to the even deeper part of the story. Yeah, maybe he was angler fish baiting them this entire time. You know, maybe that was the plan. Who knows? Yeah, that's that's really the amazing beauty of a concept, not actually a concept, quote unquote, album is like all of these songs very effectively sit on their own. So when you you address it, it's it's such a good story, but you can see it whole. What was that thing? What were they called? You have different little shapes and you can make different pictures out of them. Little wooden shapes, tesseracts, or they were little, like, you know, a square and a diamond shape. And you Tanagrams. Could... Tanagrams. Bananagrams. Bananagrams. That's a game. Tanagrams. Yeah. This is a Tanagram album. It's not a concept album. It's a Tanagram al- album. It's kind of a Rorschach, really. It's a, <laughs> it's a Rorschach redemption. Yeah. <laughs> but if you listen to this song and then... Tundra, then the story mm-hmm. is, well, he was finally captured and then sent off to this to the Siberian wasteland to to die of exposure. Yeah, and insanity. Yeah. If you do it the other way, that was episode one, and now here's episode two, and they're not necessarily related. You know, it's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very cool. When I was in grad school for teaching for for English secondary education our our teacher one of our teachers mm-hmm. uh, Donna Mahar I'll never forget she I, I don't know where the how the conversation came up but the the question somebody asked like why didn't you take your husband's name when you got married and her vehement, adamant response was Donna Mahar is no man's chattel <gasps> and I cannot hear or see nobody's car without thinking Donna Mahar is no man's chattel that's no. another long running joke that Ray and I have nobody's chattel wow. nobody's chattel <laughs> what is a chattel is that it's it's cattle it's basically cattle it's your it's your livestock it's your your um something that you own basically some living thing that you own hmm. yeah wow Nobody's chattel. Dun, 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 dun. If you if you had, tell me what your your Mister Nobody would be. If you had to project onto this void your greatest fear. Wow. Hmm. Could be an an impossible embodiment. We're getting close to Halloween. It's uh, 
Actually, this will probably drop after Halloween, but. Oh, that's an interesting question. Oh, this drops literally the day after Halloween. So on, on Dia de los Muertos, Omen, tell us your greatest fear. <laughs> For All Saints Day. I So recently we had Hurricane Ian come through Florida. Yes. And my wife and I were exceptionally lucky. Yeah. We really were fine. You know, we had a... A leaky skylight that I will definitely patch one of these days. Um, Did you say say patch or thatch? I'm going to thatch it, Nick. Yes. (laughs) Going to have the only thatched skylight in Orlando. Oh, it's it's a commodity. It's gonna it's gonna go around like hotcakes everywhere. Oh yeah, better homes and gardens. Yeah. A thatched skylight is all the rage. (laughs) But I you know, it the the hurricane was terrifying and it made me it made me think of something that my dad had always said, which was because he lived in Puerto Rico for a long time. He always said, I would rather go through 10 upstate New York snowstorms than one tropical hurricane. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound reasonable. But I figured out why that is. It's, you know, if a snowstorm is coming, if it gets very, very cold, if you have taken all the correct steps, you will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You you just dig yourself out. Yeah. If you have insulated your property, your building correctly, if you have enough fuel... If you have enough food, you can be snowed in for as long as you want. You'll be totally fine. You might be bored, but you'll be fine. Yeah. With a hurricane, you can take every correct step there is, and it will still destroy your life. It does not yeah. care. Yeah. Not that the snowstorm cares, but the 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 snowstorm is gives up more easily. It's like, oh, just drop snow, whatever. <laughs> and then it goes away. I will I don't think I'll ever forget the feeling of of powerlessness that I, that I felt when I was watching and we didn't flood, you know, our house wasn't flooded, but there was a point when I didn't realize that the water had crested yet. And it was very close to the house. It was only a couple of feet away. Yeah. And I was like, there is nothing that I can do to stop this water rising. And if it does continue to rise, there's nothing I can do to keep it from coming into the house and wrecking all of our stuff. And I, there's, I have nothing, there's nothing I can do. That sense of powerlessness is something that I think really is frightening for me. That's pretty scary. The the feeling the power of nature firsthand like that, it's very humbling. Very, yeah. very erotic. Very <laughs> Yes. Oh, it's like what what was that Stormwatch song? Seal Driver. No, 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 no. It was was it Dunring old ghosts? One of them that was like maybe it's Dunringle, the power of like looking out over the ocean oh, yeah, and don't yeah, go yeah. The, don't go down there alone. I think it was Dunringle. Yeah, yeah, scary. Nick, before I ask you what your greatest fear is, or your you know your one of your top ten, <laughs> I am reminded of. Do you know the film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? I am familiar. Yeah, there is the wonderful tour in this sort of last fourth of the film they are being pursued by these three or four horsemen Mm -hmm. and they keep running away and running away and running away and running away and they're like oh finally we've lost them then they look back and there they are and they start getting they start developing this mythology around these these horsemen who aren't exactly gaining on them but they can never get quite far enough away to where they can't see them anymore they can never lose them and they they start feeling like they are literally the horsemen of the apocalypse that they're running away from. And no matter how fast they run, no matter how many tricks they have up their sleeve, they just, it is just inevitable that these guys are going to catch them. And you really start to get the sense of, of terror from them. I love that, that part of the film. Yeah. What a good movie. What would you project onto your faceless follower? Just ants, just a pile of ants. Do you not like ants? I fucking hate ants. Really? Yeah. Swarming. Any like... Oh, I can't. They aerate the soil. If there's one in the house, I will destroy it. But if there's like a line of them, I have to run screaming to Raven. There's no such thing as one ant. Well, one that I can see. If they come out one at a time, I'll handle them. It's great. It's totally fine. (laughs) I will handle all 36 batrillion of them. I'll just sit there and wait for them to come out one by one. Yeah. 
What do we have the pleasure of listening to next week, Nick? Things are about to heat up, Omen. Because we're on track number 11. Heat. Okay. Well, that sounds nice. <laughs> you don't remember heat at all, do you? Is, nope. that, is that what that response is? Nice. Nope. It's nice... It's what what bliss to have the mind of a goldfish to to listen to these tracks for the first time. Who are you again? Uh, your mother. You never call me. <laughs> Too real. <laughs> if you have seen this podcast a thousand times, why not get some fresh material by signing up for our Patreon subscription? Mm. A mere five dollars a month gets you not only two whole other podcasts a month, but a whole collection of nobodies who enjoy listening to Jethro Tull as much as you do. You've read the book before. You've even seen the film. So you've nothing preventing you from rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please and thank you. Is that my limousine? No, it's a branded Talk Tall to Me t-shirt that you can get at our Tee Public page. Until next week, I am no man's chattel, Nick McGill. I am down a cobbled alleyway with no exit, Omen Thomas said. Doors slam, two figures silhouette. We are the feckless momes. And this is All They Asked of Me. Talk tell to me. Her in nobody's car called Donna Mahar. That's right. Whether you are a workman who got fell on by nobody's power tool, or you fell in nobody's hole, uh, you can count on Donna Mahar, lawyer. Did you trip on a broken sidewalk? Call Donna Mahar. What if the broken sidewalk wasn't even belonged to anybody? It wasn't even my feats. You can call Donna Mahar. We will get you the money that you deserve. What? Now, take for example, it's my buddy Polly. Nobody blinded me! Nobody ate my cheese! We will get you cheese, we will get you grievance pay, we will get you sheep. That's right, nobody does not get you nobody's Donna Mahar cheese for free, unless you paid extra. And then it's nobody's money but ours. My husband said that nobody bought him too many drinks at the bar, and that's why he was drunk driving. Donna Mahar, can you help me? That's nobody's fault, and we'll get you money for it. Nobody laid me off from my job that I didn't have. I called Donna Mahar, and now nobody has all my money, including me. We make sure nobody pays and nobody has that money. In fact, nobody has it but us. I'm Advocate Donna. And I'm a lawyer, Mahar. If you ever don't need to call no one, don't bother not calling us. We'll tell you the same thing we didn't tell each other when we first didn't meet. Nobody belongs to no one, and nobody's money goes nowhere. And we are nobody who are not lawyers. And not least importantly, not talking tall will not make you a non-member of the less proud, not audio feckless, my network. Menabab, by no no, we are.